Americanism. The philosophy of the Founding Fathers as declared in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, that everyone is endowed by God with unalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the purpose of government is to secure those rights, not grant them. An Americanist is someone who believes and applies this. And another word that can be used interchangeably is constitutionalist. An Americanist, constitutionalist, is also someone devoted to the sovereignty and well-being of this nation. Here at the John Birch Society, we're Americanists, through and through. Unfortunately, these days, it sure seems there are far too many un-Americanists. Those who don't view our founders and the documents that helped create the greatest nation ever very favorably. Many un-Americanist legislators have a D by their names, and they advocate for every absurd scheme that erodes individual liberty and national prosperity. They say and claim to believe insanely silly things. Case in point is the Inflation Reduction Act that was just signed. The bill not only won't reduce inflation, but it's likely to increase it. Furthermore, it diverts taxpayer money to destructive green schemes. But sensible people don't need help spotting out the obvious. You probably know what's ridiculous when you hear it. And this is especially easy today, as it appears that most things coming out of D.C. are blatantly asinine. However, this episode isn't about the obviously inane. We're talking about the dangers that aren't so obvious. Dangers within the right, where for the time being, hope for national restoration lies. Usually those on the right talk a good game. Many have an R by their names, and they represent genuinely patriotic constituents. But talk often is as far as they go. And when you're not watching, some are selling you out and trampling over the Constitution. No different from those who make their intents publicly known. I'm Paul Dragu, and in this episode of Freedom is the Cure, we'll be looking at one of the highest hurdles to restoring our nation, fake Americanists within the right. But before we dive in, please like and follow our social media channels and share these videos. Or if you prefer, follow our Freedom is the Cure podcast channel. It's available on most platforms. Since we're telling the truth, Big Tech heavily restricts us so we can use all the help to get our message out. So my guest today is Art Thompson. He's a former CEO of the John Birch Society. He's author of several books on the plot for tyrannical global government and someone, as we like to say around the office, who's forgotten more about the enemies of freedom and their schemes than most of us will ever know. Hey, Art. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining me, man. My pleasure, really. So, Art, I was uh, reading your latest book, The World of Soros, and uh, you talk about the threat on American elections and, of course, George Soros' part in that. Uh, I would say that viewers of the show kind of, they don't really need an update or to be blown away by the fact that Soros obviously anti-American, and he's certainly an un-Americanist. If there's a cause that harms this nation, I'd say there's a good chance he supported it. Uh, but there's also also a lot in your book about uh, people and organizations that maybe your average Republican Joe might not recognize as un-American. Uh, we still have that habit, and you've I, we've talked about it off camera, where you know if someone has an R by their name, we kind of view them favorably, like you know uh, they they're automatically someone who's good for America. But that's the, certainly not the case, is it? Um, in your book, you write. Most people do not realize that the left is involved in the Republican Party. And you just did a video on the dangerous aspects of the GOP. Can you start by talking about the origins of the Grand Old Party? And we'll see where that takes us. 
Well, I can do that. I don't know how many hours we have. (laughs) (laughs) All right. One of the things I'd really like to do uh, is to get a, a, a group of people together one of these days uh, and take them to the place where the Republican Party was actually founded. Hmm. Because they don't hide the origins, and that's Ripon, Wisconsin. And it's not pronounced Ripon. <laughs> it's Ripon, Wisconsin. I live in Wisconsin. I never even heard of Ripon. Yeah. So at any rate, I, I was trying to find the origins of the Republican Party for many, many years, particularly because I was writing this book, To the Victor Go the Myths and Monuments, mm-hmm. which is about the first hundred years of the enemies of the Constitution and God inside the United States. And so I couldn't find out who started the Republican Party. They said it was started in Ripon. Okay, all right. All right but who, Was it started by Lincoln? Who was it? No. That's a myth. That's part of the myth in my in my uh, <laughs> title. All right. Abraham Lincoln had absolutely nothing to do with uh, founding the Republican Party. Yes, uh, his partners, his junior partners, uh, Herndon, one of them, uh, were involved in the in the process. But Lincoln was a Whig for a long time. Well, long about a year and a half after the party was formed. He even ran on the Whig party after the Republican Party was formed. But anyway, getting back to Ripon. So finally I made it a point, because I couldn't find out who really started it, I went to Ripon, to that little white schoolhouse, and I walked in and and I looked at the paraphernalia and what was up on the blackboard and and so forth, and I started to laugh. Well, the curator there wanted to know, well, why why are you laughing? I says, because for the first time I can see who really started the party. Now, I didn't tell her what I saw, but I recognized the names. And a lot of the literature around town don't hide the background of some of these people. I'm telling you, as I sit here, that the people who started the Republican Party were part of the communist apparatus. How? Who are these people and how... How do you know they started the Republican Party? Well, once you go there and you and you start to look, you can even find this out on the Internet, but it is becoming more and more censored. Mm-hmm. There's two names to really look up. Okay. One is Alvin Bovey, B-O-V-A-Y. He's the guy that actually structured it at Ripon. Okay. But Alvin Bovey worked for Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley was the editor of the New York Tribune. Mm-hmm. He hired Karl Marx for 11 years to be his European correspondent, one of his European correspondents. He actually joined the Communist International, Horace Greeley did, Hmm. according to Zondran, who was the socialist historian who wrote the history of of, uh, socialism in the United States. It was published about 1896, something like that. But at any rate, they decided that they needed to form a new party. So... He went out, Beauvais went out to Ripon, uh, to the commune there that was started by Rip, uh, Greeley's organization. They started nearly 50 communist communes in the United States. Yeah. And, and, and Greeley was vice president of this organization that did that. And from the leadership of that commune and others in the local community, they started the Republican Party, which got 
uh, its publicity from Greeley. New parties started ripping and so on yeah. and so forth, and it started to, to roll along real quick. Was it called the Republican Party? Yes, it was. Huh. Yeah. And it was uh, named after the original Re- Republican Party. Most people don't know is that the two major parties in the United States were originally called Republican. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> the original one was called Republican, then Republican Democrats, and then Democrats. Okay. Oh. And they've never changed their name since. And by and large, if you look at the history of, yeah. of it, the same force was behind the founding of both parties. It, with it, uh, under the the banner of Jacobin mm-hmm. under the uh, Washington administration and that sort of thing, which gave Washington and Adams terrible headaches. It was just awful. Yeah, they they fomented rioting in the streets. They did all the things that you see going on today that you do not read about in your history books today. Wow. You know, I, one of the things I like to ask people is, are you aware that when Philadelphia was the capital of the United States that there was a riot of 10,000 people looking to hang George Washington and overthrow the government? I no, never heard of that either. I never heard of that. Yeah. And, and yet it happened. In fact, later on in a letter from Adams to Jefferson, he said he thought that the only thing that saved the country at that time was uh, the uh, yellow fever because— in fact, uh, Franklin's grandson died in Philadelphia of the yellow fever during that time period. Yeah. But yellow fever descended on the Capitol, and that dispersed all the outside agitators that were coming uh. in and riling up the, the Capitol. And and so it, it, it took the stuffing out of the, the movement, so to speak, and started to calm it down. Also, the the Whiskey Rebellion was part of it, and and on and on. I document all that. But I think the Whiskey Rebellion aspect, as far as the Jacobin involvement, is kind of semi-documented. Well, it's more than semi. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's stories, there's documentation saying that there was French flags. Oh, uh, yeah. People were frying French flags. Is there anything to to indicate the intents of those who formed the Republican Party, apparently these, these communists or socialists, were they communists, straight out communists or socialists? Or? It, it, it started out with the communists evolved into the socialist and then the mm-hmm. average guy. Yeah. And uh, the thing was... It, and what it, year was this about, would you say? Well, 1852. Okay. And the thing was that, uh, 53, in, in that time period. So this was about before the Communist Manifesto was oh, really published. No, it was already published in 1848, February. Mm. I thought it was later in that no, century. No, it okay. was February 1848. Okay. The situation was that they then formed, out of Pinkerton, the, the detective agency. Yeah, yeah. They call it, you know, where you get the, the private eye? Yeah. That's where Pinkos. you— goes. Yeah, well— he had the logo of an eye, the private eye. Oh, okay. The all-seeing eye. The one we have on the dollar bill. No <laughs> That's correct. Pinkerton was a socialist leader, militant leader, that had to flee England mm-hmm. because they were going to arrest him. Yeah. So he came to the United States, got involved with John Brown and all that stuff. But yeah. at any rate, that's another story. He started an outfit called uh, Wide Awake Republicans. War. That's the acronym, war. Mm. And they were very militant. They wore uniforms. They met in secret, marched in public. And uh, they, they uh, started to influence a lot of the immigrants that came yeah. into the country uh, and others to get involved in the Republican Party. 
and uh, the uh, the radical German element was yeah. very big in the Republican Party at that time. Now, did did this did this movement play any role in the? Sounds like we're we're approaching that civil war. Mm-hmm. Uh, did this play any role in that, as as far as these, this new foreign party and the? Well, intent? what was the what was the acronym of this war. outfit? <laughs> war, huh? War. Yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting to watch, uh, you know, because you had all these people in the South and the North who said we need to split, we need to to form two countries. We don't agree with each other yeah, yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that but sounds the, familiar. But it? the minute the first gunshot was fired at mm-hmm. Fort Sumter, within 30 days, everybody switched, and the people who are giving speeches, uh, uh, saying you got to get out of the union, we're going to do away with the Constitution. A lot of them didn't like the Constitution in the mm-hmm. North, and so was, all those people switched and says, "Oh, we've got to have a union. We've got to fight to keep it, preserve it, and on and on yeah, and on yeah. and on." And in the South, they became obstructionists. Yeah. So at any rate, it, it's fascinating history, and it took you 45 years to research all this stuff out. But that's yeah, that's. You're but like anyway, an that's the, the origin of the problems we have today, and you can trace it on through uh, the various people who were involved in the Republican Party over the years at the top, yeah. not the not the rank and file, uh, nor even the middle. Yeah, but the the people who were actually running the party all these uh, for over a century. Yeah, but I w- I would argue also because I I would imagine there's someone watching there saying it's like well you know that that's all well and whatnot but any any reformation or any I guess constitutional actions and policies it seems for the most part has come especially most recently from from the right. So what would you say to people who are listening to this and say it's like, look, the, the Republican Party is not a communist party. They're, they're, seems, they're, they're problematic, and that's what we're going to touch on and how they are. Well, the, 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 the thing is that the Communist Party is only a small snippet of the overall problem. The overall problem is the formation of a one-world government. Yeah. Scrapping the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and we'd be a cog in the wheel of this one-world government. Right, That's right. their goal. Yeah. So a lot of the things that the Republicans and Democrats have done over the years has been towards creating that entity. Yeah. And their first major step in the 20th century was the formation of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And if you read our Constitution and you read the charter of the United Nations, they can't, they don't compare. Right, right. And and so on and so forth. We could talk about that for a long time. Yeah. But at any rate, so there are a lot of things which uh, they do, which at, at the time appears to be a solution, mm-hmm. but people don't have a good uh, history of being able to draw out the lines. Yeah. Where is this going to lead? What's the next step? What's the next logical thing that's going to happen as a result of this thing. Let me give you just one example, if I may. You may. One of the things that's going on right now is that there's this force between pro-police and anti-police. Now, the anti-police have the defunding and all of that business. Yeah. And and the Republicans, they say, well, we need more police. Mm-hmm. And so the defunders and, and those people over on the left want to bring the uh, police uh, to be dissolved and go into a national police system. Yeah, yeah. And so they will ha- institute all sorts of programs toward that end. Now, those that want to save the police now are saying, well, we need to fund the police. 
We need to give them equipment. Yeah. Well, where's all this coming from? It's going to come from the federal government. And the federal government always controls what it finances. So you're going to have a national police force under the Republican plan just as much as the Democrat plan. That That's, you know... The, the, that's something I learned as a reporter back in my reporting years is we would get these press releases from the local police department about how they just got a grant. And it was always a federal grant, and they were going to help them get shields and, you know, technology and things like that. And so, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that obviously when the feds start, you know, giving you something, there's going to be strings attached to it, and they're doing it. You know, you spoke of the United Nations. Who was the president when the United Nations was? was Truman. Uh, Truman, right? And see, he was a, he was a Democrat. Many many would would argue it. But let's fast forward a little bit, uh, half a decade up to uh, another scheme of the globalists, and something that we've been talking about. And now we see now it's no more as the Great Reset, but it was Agenda Twenty One, right? And then there was a Republican, right, a Republican president who said one will have one world government, and he signed on to Agenda Twenty One. In your book, you talk about the Bushes. The Bushes seem to have a long line of of I don't know if you want to call it corruption, but really uh, some some questionable ties. And one thing you talk about is how Prescott Bush, which I guess is the grandfather of George W., right? Yeah, father, Prescott. Yes. He he was tied to to Nazi banks, right? He he was uh, actually under indictment for a time uh, at the beginning of World War II for his involvement with with uh, the the Nazi government. Yeah, yeah, and the, even, the, I mean, you cite, for instance, you, the, your citations is a Guardian article where I guess after the archives were declassified, they realized this and whatnot. And then we move on up, and, and George H.W., he was, he was a member of uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, right? George H.W. Bush, uh, even before that, was a member of the Secret Society Skull and Bones yeah. at Yale, yes, which is a very globalist institution. But yes, uh, George H.W. Bush was not just a only was not only a member of the CFR. He was on the board of the CFR just before he agreed to become vice president under Ronald Reagan. Yeah, can you can you take a minute to kind of to describe what the CFR says it does versus what it really does? What it really does, first of all, is. Uh, Starting with a little history, it was formed by a number of people at the Versailles Conference right after World War One, when the United States did not agree to the peace treaty with Germany. Part of the peace treaty with Germany was membership in the League of Nations, mm -hmm. which was the embryonic New World Order. Yeah, and uh, and so enabled to so they needed an organization to agitate and propagandize the American people into wanting to join this new world order. Right. So they formed the CFR. That's its whole mission, is to get the American people to agree to go into a new world order. And so they were able to do that uh, at the conclusion of World War II. Right. In fact, you can go back and see old newsreels. They were, they were propagandizing the American people, at, at, even in, in the... Uh, uh, the war uh, footage from the front. Yeah. You'd see Marines uh, charging the beach. Yeah. Uh, and they said, instead of saying U.S. troops, as United Nations troops. They were only U.S. Marines. Wow. But this was before the U.N. was ever formed. Getting people used to this idea, and you could see Hollywood. We can never have another uh, war like this. We've got to do something where we're all getting together and blah, blah, blah. 
conditioning the American people for a peace organization, not yeah. understanding what really was going to happen with that peace organization of abrogating the Constitution of the United States and throw and ripping up the Declaration of Independence. Right, because they're incompatible. They're the incompatible. Char- it, yeah, anyone can go in the United Nations, read its charter, and then see. I think there's a line there where it says it's like you could have, to paraphrase, you have your freedoms and whatnot, so long as they, you know, you abide by uh, by our rules. The, or as we that's like one it. way of, of of translating it, but basically it is. Uh, the basic fundamental principle on which the American government is founded is that we get our rights from God. Right. We're the only country in the world that says that. The United Nations says, we give you these rights. Mm-hmm. Well, if we give you these rights, we can take them away. Yeah. But if God gives us our rights, no government can con- control them or take them away, period. A good case in point. Legally. Would, yeah, would be the Canadian, uh, the Canadian Bill of rights or whatever, their charter of rights. You know, the Canadians, a lot of them were, seemed to, uh, they were a little surprised that their government would do what they did, which was become completely authoritarian. But then you look at the Canadian charter of rights and, and it, it has some of the same language as the United Nations, which is basically, there's no mention of God. And that's such a huge difference because obviously if God is not where you get your rights, if you're not born with them, then obviously you, you know, you would think that the government gives them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's go back a couple of decades. You mentioned Richard Nixon, another Republican. Yes. And one of the things that Richard Nixon did, and I don't have a whole lot of background on this, and maybe you can help me, is he opened up China. Correct. To uh, He opened up China, right, to the world. Can you go into that? And obviously, where you actually wrote a book about China. Was it the Trojan Horse China? Yes. Do you remember the title? I'm yes. sure we'll put it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a book about Chinese infiltration into the United States. But they uh, ostensibly, uh, Nixon, with Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, who was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations mm-hmm. and a bunch of other internationalist What was types Kissinger, his secretary of state? Was he it? was uh, an, uh, a secu- national security advisor, then secretary of state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at any rate, they ostensibly opened up China as a foil against Russia. Mm. They've always done that. And yet Russia and China have always been like this. They've always been together. They've never been separate. And I could tell you stories to prove that that is the case. But nonetheless, that is the propaganda that's been out there. Russia, bad guy, will help China. China, bad guy, will help Russia. And they've done this back and forth. Uh, for quite a long while, yeah. and people have lost their memories as to what they tried to do before and, and fall for it once again. They opened up China to trade and recognition and that sort of thing under Nixon. Then they opened up the banking system mm. under Carter and uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski. And in that case, and what a lot of people don't understand now and what I put in my book on China is that the major New, uh, New York banks, as well as the major Chinese banks, are actually partners. They own each other's stock. Hmm. That's how integrated the yeah. banking system and the Chinese banking system has become. Right. And so a lot of that stuff goes on without people realizing it. So you can support the American banks against the Chinese banks, but you don't realize because of the connection that you're screwed no matter what you do. <laughs> wow. So so this obviously opened up 
would you say it's fair to say open the floodgates and now I think everyone realizes that China is a threat. Yes. China is a threat to America. And this this definitely helped make that a reality, right? Correct. All right. So let's skip now. Now let's get to more recent. You mentioned people like John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. You know, John Boehner was was he the House majority? Yes, House. And and Mitch now is the minority, but he was the Senate majority and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they you you document they both have ties to China. But not only that, you know, as leaders, we saw them both fail when it came to constitutional principles. That's true. They, particularly with Mitch McConnell, that, because we might as well just talk about current events, Mitch McConnell doesn't like anything America first. The man is rich because of the Chinese connections and money uh, through his wife. Who has connection to a, was it a Chinese shipping company? The, yeah, they get the, the shipping company builds its ships in China, mans its ships with Chinese, and it ships Chinese goods. Wow, yeah. And the money goes into the Chow family and into uh, Mitch McConnell's bank account. Right, right. And uh, how did Boehner, he worked for a Chinese, was it a firm that worked with the Chinese? Yes, afterwards, yes. Okay, so so what in the world are we to do? <laughs> well, first of all, we have to educate ourselves. First of all, we have to get, number one, get back to the basics, Okay. Study the Constitution, study the Declaration of Independence, and see what it is that we've deviated from. Right. What made this country the best country on earth, mm-hmm. that, and it it is failing now because we're getting away from the basic principles on which our country were founded. And then don't trust anybody. I, I really, if you trust a politician, I don't care who it is. Not even Republican ones. Not even me. Hey, look, I've served in office. I know the pressures that in my little town's mm-hmm. uh, city council. Mm-hmm. I know the pressures that are on people when they're in that position to vote yes, 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 never no. How does that, what do you mean, where does the pressure come from? Because I've, I've covered the city council in little Montana town and whatnot. It just yeah. doesn't seem like anyone would be interested outside of pressuring well, there are all sorts of pressures that come in. For instance, uh, w- w- if you if you serve as an uh, as the president of your local chamber of commerce, you find out how quickly you get publications from the national chamber of commerce, mm. which is part of the orbit of the national of the Council on Foreign Relations, a globalist. Mm. It'll always whatever they want you to push, they will always couch it in the idea that it's good for business. Right. Okay. But at any rate, so that's there. It's from outfits like ICLE, which is the International Council uh, from the uh, United Nations, which tries to get 21. county and city governments to, mm-hmm. to make environmental laws yeah. in, in accordance with the United Nations. Right. And it makes it look like it's local. So you have that pressure uh, locally, and it's usually from the staff. It's not always from some businessman or yeah. that sort of thing out in the community, but it will include the business community if uh, if it's a larger uh, metropolitan area mm-hmm. through various chambers of commerce or you know yeah. other civic organizations, because they've been told it's good for business, and so they want something that's good for business, not recognizing the fact that it deteriorates the the, the either the power of local government to withstand outside influences, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, just 
environmental regulations and that sort of thing. Property rights is one. Uh, this is the next book of yeah, mine yeah. that's coming out, and and we have we have eroded property rights to such an extent that nobody owns property in this country anymore. Would would paying uh, property taxes be indication that you never own your well, property? Well, yeah. Let let me give it to you this way. If I rent a piece of property and I don't pay my rent, what happens to me? I get evicted. Right, right. If I own a piece of property and I don't pay my taxes, what happens to me? You're out. You're out. <laughs> What's the difference? But in addition, I always found that so asinine. Like, I can it, never own my home. You, no, you pay for it forever. Yeah. And so the thing is— How are we not revolting? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that, that in addition to that, you have zoning, environmental yeah. laws— uh, all sorts of things that are coming down the pike where you can't do with your property yeah. what you want to do without getting permission from this yeah. level of government and that level of government and so on and so forth. I remember I, I moved into this city one time and uh, I went to the city hall and I said, I want to get a, 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 a license, a business license. And they looked at me and said, uh, what's that? I says, you know, a business license to operate. Oh, we don't have that sort of thing. Uh, wow. The next day I went back and I said, I need to build a new building because I found that the, the, the buildings that I have are insufficient for yeah. the production of what they I want to do. They give you a big do. book of permits you need? No. They said, "Is well, who owns the property? And I said, well, I do. Well, what business is of ours then what you do? Okay. <laughs> I thought, freedom. Yeah, that's what you know the old like. days back in 1776. You know, yeah, and so, but gradually over time, they instituted zoning and on yeah. and on and on and on until finally they were just like every other place where your hands were tied as to what you could do. And they always correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they always put a veneer of of, of safety of public and the way they always do it, right? Like it's like, well, if we don't, if you don't have to get a permit, you know, the building's gonna fall and kill everyone in your house That's and stuff right. like. Is that what? Well, even a, even more fundamental, in back in the day, if you were a doctor, you hung a shingle out on your on your gate. Or if you were an attorney, you had a shingle out on your gate. Yeah. Today, the zoning says you can't have a business there. So you can't practice uh, out of your house if you're yeah. a lawyer or a doctor. And that does that all fit in within the, the scheme of, would you say, of, of curbing our, our rights and our freedoms? Oh, of course. Now, A step at a time, a little snippet. Nothing to worry about, nothing to get too upset over, but all those little snippets yeah, after yeah, yeah. a while. By the time up. you talk to your dad or your grandpa, you realize it was so different. Yep. It was so different there. And then it's like, you know, you go back, I guess we'll wrap it up with talking about, you know, education. And you and I talk a lot about this often. And this is what we do here at the John Birch Society. This, our founder, Robert Welch, said, education is our total strategy and truth is our only weapon. And he realized and we realize that the, the biggest thing, the, the biggest factor that we can help the American the Americans is is help them to learn uh, what it's supposed to be like. I don't know if you know if there's probably a better way to say it, but it, I would think there's a lot of people who, who may realize it's like, well, we didn't always have all these these dumb rules. We didn't always have you know uh, thousands of tax laws and whatnot. In fact, what just a hundred years ago, we didn't even have an income tax, right? That's right. Yeah, and there's all these things that they have done. But you know, going back to this, we start out by talking about the dangers of these what I call, I guess, stealth un-Americanists. Yeah. You know, and and so we don't. 
we want to say it's like don't trust just because they have an R. And you know how how do we know? And we go into education and whatnot. But we also have an, another tool, and and we'll be we'll be making that larger. But for instance, the congressional scorecard, yeah, uh, which used to be called TRIM. What was the acronym for that? I don't the tax reform immediately. Yeah. So we have this congressional scorecard, and so that helps with federal uh, representatives and senators. Uh, can you kind of go into that? Uh, about you know how you can use this tool, and we, we'll have a link with that. Yeah, actually, you can get this online. You go to the New American, and you can get that and, yeah. and see how your congressman votes, mm-hmm. how your senator votes vis-a-vis the Constitution. Right. And you'll see the percentage of those votes yeah. overall are kind of the same between Republicans and Democrats. Now, you'll see the real extreme yeah. Uh, demo, uh, socialists way down at the bottom, Their zero be, or yeah. twelve or something like that, and you'll see the the more constitutionalists mm-hmm. uh, getting close to a hundred, and some do vote a hundred, like Massey and others uh, from Massey, Kentucky. Yeah. And but there are very few, right? There are very, very few. few who, and, and that's so telling. How does it work? We grab what some some major votes, and we use those to score them. That's correct. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the votes that they vote on sometimes you can't use them, you know, because they don't quite fit the parameters of what mm. we're evaluating them on. But I remember Larry McDonald, who used to be the chairman of the board of the John Birch Society while he was in Congress. Who was a Democrat, by the way. He was a Democrat from Georgia. All right. And he said, this is how I evaluate whether a bill is is something I'm going to vote yay or nay on. Yeah. He says, first of all, I read the title. And if it's unconstitutional, nay. And I read everything until I hit something unconstitutional, then I vote nay. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. And that's the way he was. But he had he had educated his constituents. He used to spend three nights a week in his in his territory going out and educating people yeah. uh, uh, with the principles that the John Birch Society is trying to get across to where right. he had thousands of people, well, hundreds, and, and I think maybe 2,000 people that were really hardcore in his area as a yeah. result. And so they were never able to get rid of him. So they finally got rid of him by blasting him out of the out sky. Out of the sky. Yeah. Anything else? Any other uh, tools or uh, information that we can use? Well, one of the things, and, and this is getting back to the world of Soros, one of the things I, I point out in here, it's not Soros is not the problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, anti-communists and conservatives back in the, in, the, in the 50s and 60s and 70s said it's that doggone David Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. We just get rid of that David Rockefeller and solve our problems. Well, he died. Yeah. Nothing changed. It kept going on and yeah. on. And it's the same thing with Soros. He's 93 years old. And he's going to die pretty soon, I think. Yeah. And when he does, nothing will happen because it isn't Soros. It's the organization yeah. through which Soros worked. And that's the lesson in this book. And it talks about a lot of the people in that organization and the organizations themselves. Yeah, you do, yeah. It's a, like I said, it's a, it's it's a good book. I, I've, I've read it, and and um, like you say, it's not. We present the problem. We say here's someone behind it, but just getting rid of Soros, not that 
We don't mean anything like that. It's like when Soros moves on, the problems are going to persist, just That's like correct. they did when whatever. The Rockefellers moved on, you know. There's, uh, was it David Rockefeller's memoir where he says they admit they're part of this cabal? Well, That's David right. Rockefeller's dead, but the cabal still exists. That's and, correct. And we see it uh, strong, uh, running strong today. Uh, give your best pitch. Uh, what? How should people get involved? You are the CEO of, of the John Birch Society. One time I was, yes. <laughs> Well, first of all, people need to uh, educate themselves. If they want to change things, they have to uh, understand what it is we need to have as a solution, right. okay? Because if you know it's wrong, but if you don't know the correct solution, you're still in right. trouble. So you need to educate yourself. Education also helps with knowing what's wrong, obviously, right? That's true as well. You but then you gauge. educate your family, mm -hmm. and then you educate your friends and neighbors, and so on and so forth. And then you start to organize them. Yeah. And the best way to do that is through the John Birch Society. No other conservative constitutionalist organization is organized to counter the organization of the left. None. People don't really understand the organization. The left organizes almost naturally because they're collectivists. Yeah. But we are more like herding cats. Yeah, huh? Exactly. <laughs> I want to be left alone. I'm an individualist. Yeah, you know. that's been our problem. In a well, way, that that that's worked against us. Huh? I know it has. And so we just have to agree that we're going to leave any petty differences aside and work on the main issue. Yeah. And that's saving this country, and to where we get together in our neighborhoods and formulate action programs to further educate the electorate, because the people vote on what they know. Right, mm -hmm. we and, and understand that you have to plan and organize. Nothing happens unless you plan and organize. Nothing. Right. So you've got to be involved in that process and do it in a concerted manner. In other words, working on the same thing at the same time with your fellow citizens in Timbuktu, that we're all working together on a right. particular thing. Timbuktu and you know Atlanta, Georgia, they're all working on the same. That's exactly, and that's that's where we do come in. We have that organization, that structure from from sea to shining sea. There are John Birch Society chapters. You know, would you say it's while they're working on some level aspects, they're also all of that is concentrated for the big picture, huh? That's correct. We get a bulletin every month besides our magazine. Magazine tells us the problem. The yeah. bulletin tells us the solution. The new American. This is right. what you can do. Yeah. And and that's what they they need to understand. They've got to get involved. Right. It is the responsible thing to do. And mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why we have in our slogan that uh, less government more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world. Responsibility all across the board, individual as well as civic responsibility. Right. That's that, one of the big things that's lacking in the country today. I was going to say that it seems like the the national uh, view toward whatever's happened is it's always someone else's responsibility yeah. to take yeah. care of me or someone else's responsibility that this happened. It's always... That's and that's what the Republican Party, as well as the Democrat Party, capitalizes on. We'll take care of it. Vote for me. Yeah, 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 well, absolutely. The Republican Party has been just as complicit, would you say, in, in the rising of the welfare state. Absolutely. In right. fact, if you look at the history until this particular administration, uh, the Republican Party has, has uh, increased the national debt or even more so than the Democrat Party when they've been in power. Wow. Yeah. Uh, th this one is going to be hard to match. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, they're 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 trying to hit it out of the park. That's for sure. And they're aim. Well, Art, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for all the the the, the books you put out there and all the information. Of course, we have all these available online at jbs.org under shop. You can check out to the Victors and uh, go to Mon- Myths and Monuments, the World of Soros. Uh, this one is uh, how, what's this? In fourth, fifth, tenth printing? Yeah, uh, fourth printing. Yeah. <laughs> and the shadows of the deep state. You got Benedict Biden, and I'm sure you're working on something else right now. So so thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for the work that you've put in here at the John Birch Society. Well, all righty, folks. We need to help people wake up and to realize that the two-party system has been a trap. It's pacified many well-meaning Americans, and it's made it easy for stealth un-Americanists to sell us out. So in order to restore our nation, we need to be smart voters and activists who help others to be smart voters and activists. As we've mentioned, the scorecard, one of, the, one of our many tools, is the best for helping to write the ship. It's not about D or R by their names. It's about who's adhering to the Constitution. That's the roadmap. So congressional scorecards show how your US representative and your senators voted on spending your money, controlling the growth of government, adhering to their oath to protect the US Constitution, and protecting your freedom. We've created scorecards for each U.S. representative and senator so patriotic Americans have the tools necessary to restore this nation. So we urge you to go online and access the scorecard and use it. There's a link for the scorecard in the description below. And we also encourage you, like Art said, to get involved in activism. And of course, we suggest the John Birch Society. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. We've got 63 years of experience. We got the battle scars and the victories to prove it. We know what we're doing. We have the structure. And we have enough puller. If we get enough pullers at the oars, we can write the ship. There's a link in the description to help you connect with your local coordinator. And always remember that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure.